What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you are tuned in to Kinda Neat. Thank you for tuning in. As always, this week on the show, we have Rex Life Raj, a Bay Area artist who's been popping off for a few years now. I tried to hook this episode up back in like 2017 or something like that. You know, then came the hiatus and then this, that, and the other. And then finally, it came to fruition. So I was stoked to meet the dude finally uh, and talk with him. Really enjoyed the conversation. He's a really good dude with a very level head on his shoulder. And yeah, it's an enjoyable conversation. We get into all kinds of stuff. Therapy, his D1 football career. He's multifaceted. Dope guy. Baby's on the way, guys. You want my registry? Go to my registry. Babylist.com. Look up Lee Shaner. Buy me some shit. I don't know if any of you guys bought me anything. Fucking buy me something. Why not? Only about six weeks away at this point. Getting to the point where we're having our like ultrasounds every week uh, coming up just to make sure that everything's going smooth and that they don't need to induce labor because he's like a full-on baby now. He is a full-on baby, so I will be a dad. I don't know if I'm going to like take a couple weeks off from the podcast or something after he gets here. I don't know if I'm going to have time to keep doing this for like maybe the first month that he's a baby. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to kind of play that one by ear, but we'll see. In the meantime, I want to talk to you guys about a TV show that I'm hate-watching. It's the new Brian Cranston show, Your Honor, and it is terrible. I started watching it because everybody was hyping up how good it is, how serious it is. The only reason I'm talking about this in the intro is because I don't want to like continually tweet about it because people will get sick of me tweeting about how bad it is, but this show is fucking bad. It really sucks. There are so many sensationalized plot devices it might as well be a soap opera it's like a soap opera shot in 4k or something like it's meant to look like it's a very serious show tackling serious issues and like oh it's a real life crime drama like yo this shit could not be farther from real life i think it's trying to be the wire but in turn it ended up being like an episode of days of our lives first and foremost The show starts off with the dorky-ass son sleeping uh, with his fine-ass teacher, who you just think is a high school student, and then you go on to realize that it's his photography teacher, and I'm like seven, eight episodes in, and there's literally no reason for them to have a sexual relationship whatsoever, and they treat it as though it's just some normal shit, like, oh, this this is what students and teachers do. Nah, that is not the case. There is no point that that would be a show in and of itself. I mean, in fact, there was a show about that in and of itself on Hulu recently uh, that tackled how that kind of relationship is abusive. Even if the teacher is like some hot chick that it seems like the teenage boy would want to pursue, uh, that is still an abusive imbalance of power relationship, you know? So, yeah, to just tuck that into a show as like a plot device, really dumb really dumb. Then, you know, Brian Cranston, great actor, wonderful actor. So you could almost be fooled into thinking this is some sort of serious show because he's a judge, you know, he's this honorable dude. But I feel like the show wants to be like this Fargo type story where it's like a good guy just keeps getting shit on and shit on and everything he does to try and fix it makes it worse and worse. And somehow you empathize with him even while you're shaking your head at him. 
But the big difference between Fargo, the movie, and the TV series, and this show is that there's no dark humor in this show. It's never funny as Cranston continues to fuck up. It's just, like, unbelievable and dumb. The crime family is... Both crime families are super sensationalized. You know, this one kid's family gets completely wiped out, and he's like 12, and yet he gets brought into uh, this crime family, and then they have him sitting at, like, the boss table with other crime family bosses just because, what, he didn't talk to the police, so now he's, like, a boss of all bosses? Fuck out of here. I don't know, man. This show is really dumb, and I keep watching it, just because I want to see how much stupider it can get. And it continues to get stupider every episode, and it continues to have plot holes, and it continues to have sensationalized plot devices. And I hate this show. And I just want you to know that if you're watching Your Honor and you're enjoying it, I think you might also be dumb. Uh, my wife thinks I'm crazy for this, but I, I do this a lot. Like, I hate watch shows. Like, I have to consume all kinds of shit. And once I start consuming it, I can't stop. I can't just give up halfway through, though I wish that I would have. There are some shows. Uh, that's a lie. Some shows I do give up on halfway through. Like, I tried to watch um, that HBO Max show, The Flight Attendant, because, again, all of the reviews were like, oh, this is a great series. Oh, what a suspenseful thriller. And they painted it like it was some serious fucking show. Um, it's with the girl from Big Bang Theory. That show is also a steaming pile of shit. It tries to be serious and it tries to tackle these big issues like alcoholism and shit. And man, it is terrible. And I would say actually that both of those shows are kind of on the same playing field where they're attempting to be serious. But in that attempt, they become like parodies of a serious TV show. And they're so outrageous that they are just unwatchable. That said, I gave up on the flight attendant and I'm sticking with your honor just because like people are really still out here saying your honor is a good show and it's not. So that's it. That's my rant about your honor. It's so bad. Go watch it. Let me know that you hate it as well. That's really all I've been getting into. I, I read a book. I read a book called The Memorial because I think I'm joining a book club. The first meeting that I'll be attending will be in three days. I've never been in a book club before. And, you know, here's the thing about me and books. I love reading. I just hate having to pick books and research books. You know, like when you were in high school and you got assigned books and you had to read them and you hated it? Yeah, sure. But as an adult, if people suggest good books to you, it becomes so much easier to fucking read. So in 2019... My New Year's resolution was to start reading every morning instead of being on my phone. And so that year, I plowed through like 15 or 16 books because I was forcing myself to read every morning instead of getting on the phone. And then uh, because it was a New Year's resolution, by the time 2020 rolled around, I was kind of like, meh, I read enough. I'll just read books as they kind of come to me or whatever, or as I hear about them. And when I wasn't looking or forcing myself to read, I didn't read shit. I didn't read a f single fucking book all year last year. I felt bad about that, right? If you guys listen along, you know Adam Weiss, the homie that's been on the show. He's one of my good friends, one of my best friends. And he was like, yeah, man, I'm reading this book right now. I'm in a book club. You should join. You would like this. He's in like mad book clubs. I was like, all right, yeah, I'll join a book club. Let me tell you, getting a book assigned to you, it was great. The book was good. 
I would read the book again. It was it was good. But that said, just the feeling of not having to think about what book I needed to start, like just having a book assigned to me, it made it so easy. And I feel like now just reading a book a month and being in a book club, goddamn, that's going to change my whole life. It's going to change my whole outlook. It's so relaxing to wake up in the morning, sit by a window with a maybe with a blanket on my dog will hop on my lap and cuddle and i'll just read about 20 30 pages something like that it is a wonderful way to start your day so i'm in a book club <laughs> i don't know why i'm being so aggressive in this intro i'm like yeah book club your honor uh i guess maybe i'm woke up on the wrong side of the bed i'm not sure other than that life is cruising life is steady we in the house not doing shit haven't left the house haven't eaten at a restaurant. Whenever I go pick up food at a restaurant, I see people in a restaurant, I still get pissed off. I still get pissed off when I see people's masks not covering their nose. At this point, I'm probably going to start getting pissed off when I don't see people double masking. Like, I'm trying to get the fuck out of this pandemic, dog. I'm trying to get out this pandemic. I want my family to be able to visit my fucking baby. I'm sick of this shit. Wear your masks. Get your vaccines. Let's get it. But anyway... Let's get into this episode with Rex Life Raj. He's just a cool motherfucker. This is an enjoyable conversation. You guys will like it. And you know what? I usually don't brag on this type of shit, but it was very sweet. After the interview, he said, man, this is probably the best interview I've ever done. I really fucked with that. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. Thank you so much. Tell your PR company. Tell people. Pay it forward. You know what I'm saying? So that was very humbling and flattering to hear that he it was one of his uh, best interviews he's ever done or favorite interviews. And if that ain't hype enough to get you to stay tuned, then uh, I don't know what is. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Rex Life Raj. Let's get it. Yeah. For y'all that don't know, it's, it's a mask on the microphone. It's a mask on the mic because of safety precautions, baby. Definitely. I don't want anybody else's spit to That's touch real. your face. That's you real feel shit. Me? And so this one, I don't put a mask on because I take it back and forth to home with me. Right. And work at home with this joint. But that one, you know, it's a, it gets around. This mic is underrated. This I love this microphone. You know? I bought this mic because i literally be in LA and I'll be in some sessions recording. Yeah. And they would pass this mic around because you- You could just hold it. Yeah. You didn't get any feedback and it nah. actually- And then to come to find out, like- like Michael Jackson used this microphone. Oh, I didn't know that. That was the big shit. Like uh, Michael Jackson used that to record Thriller, Thriller, or so whatever. Oh, no so shit. shit. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, bro, it's crazy. Yeah. What did you come down to LA for? I had a uh, a live stream show with bands in town. How was that? It was tight. It was uh, the first kind of like long set I've did in a while. Yeah. Like I've done a little in studio sets for different colleges, and we did like Outside Lands, which was like 20, 30 minutes. This was like a 40-minute set. Yeah. So I haven't done one of those in like a year for real, so it was pretty tight. But I got a Peloton bike, bro. I'll be on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so My I'm girl like, keeps wanting to get a Peloton bike. I said, we live in a two-bedroom house. We don't got nowhere to put this bitch. I'm telling you, if you have somewhere to put it, I would highly recommend it for anybody trying to get in shape because it's so convenient because it's the bike, but it's also like you get the big-ass screen to come yeah. with it, and they got full-body workouts. You'd be everybody. all competitive on it, rank yourself against other people. Taking a little Karen from Wisconsin on one. Kind of neat. Brought to you by Peloton Bikes. <laughs> <Brought saying>. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, well, let me ask you this, though. How long have you had the Peloton? Shit, I think I've had it now for... 
three months. Okay, all right. I want you to hit me back after six months. Tell me if you're still using it. Because all my friends that got one, they're like, yeah, around six months, I stopped using it. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> but what's crazy for me, though, bro, because I play uh, ball. So I've been working out for, like, I just like working out. Yeah. And I like cardio. I like running. But yeah. my knees are fucked up from yeah. football, so I can't run. Yeah. So the bike for me is perfect. I had a, before I had a Peloton, I had a bike, a stationary bike yeah, for right. a couple of years. I just ride the bike. So for me personally, it works. I can't speak I for everybody else. Uh, on my LA hipster shit, I used to ride a fixed gear bike for many years. I don't even know what that means, but I believe it. it. It's dope. It's like, it's a bike that, as long as the pedals are spinning, or the wheels are spinning, the pedals are spinning. You can't stop uh, it. You know what I'm saying? There's uh, no cruising. It's a uh, is a much harder. Oh, that's many. Yeah, yeah. But they they're what very if you be- going downhill? Oh, it's fucking gnarly. Yeah, fuck that. It's Mike. scary. I've seen people eat shit going downhill. But you know, in the Bay Area, that's like people really revolutionized fixed gear biking up there in San Francisco. Right. They're fucking nuts on fixed gear bikes going down. I those think hills. I know what a fixed gear bike. Like if you hit the if you go backwards, it's a break. It skids. Uh, it skids. It doesn't break. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah, man, it's just crazy. Um, you play football? You said. I played uh, at Boise State, yeah. No shit. Yeah, I'm in college. Well, are you lineman? I was a lineman, for yeah. sure. O-line I'm, or I'm, D-line? O-line. Yeah, right. I'm big right now, but I was bigger in college. I was like 3'10", 3'15". And what, you're like 6'3", 6'4"? 6'3 and a half. Uh, God ain't give me that extra inch. I'm 6'3 and a half. Son of a bitch. God damn God. You know, Come you could have just me. stretched you there with one Come more on. half if inch. Come on. If I could have, hey, stretch <laughs> you know, some hamstring stretches, I might get there. Say, hang upside down a little bit. <laughs> Um, did you get a scholarship to go to Boise State? I did. I got a scholarship out of out of high school at Berkeley High. Man, real, that's real Berkeley High legend. You feel me? They know about me at the high. You feel me? Real legend. Put my mural on the wall, man. Gee, I fucks with that. So, are you <laughs> born and raised in in uh, Berkeley? Yeah. So I was born. I was born at kaiser in oakland but i grew up yeah. in berkeley i love when people get specific with the hospital like yeah i was born in kaiser you gotta let niggas know niggas <laughs> in the baby tweaking you feel me <laughs> so yeah i was i was born in kaiser but i lived in berkeley till i was like 13 or 14 and we moved to vallejo okay uh in college park but i still went to school in berkeley yeah um, i just really slept in vallejo for real what was the difference between Berkeley and Vallejo? Two different worlds. It's yeah. just two different, completely different worlds. In what ways? <laughs> a lot of different ways. <laughs> and I couldn't even tell you too much because on the real, I wasn't in Vallejo like that. Yeah. I literally slept in Vallejo. And then if you if you from the Bay, you know, the commute to Berkeley with rush hour traffic is like 30, 45 minutes, sometimes yeah. an hour in the morning. Yeah. Um, it's more like an hour with the traffic. So we would get up at like seven and be gone and we wouldn't get back because my parents had a business in Berkeley. Okay. So they would be working until five or six and we'd go back to Vallejo. I'd just sleep. I really don't. You'd be, you be getting there at like nine, 10 at night Literally. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, what kind of business did your parents own? A delivery service. It's yeah. like a, a more local FedEx, same day, like just imagine UPS on a smaller scale, yeah. but on some same day shit. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. Yeah. How long have they had that? 30 years, bro. Since I've been alive, no kidding. Yeah, how do they start that? Have you heard this story? Um, I think my dad had was always like independent and had an entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, and he just got to a point where I think he was working for Coca Cola, I believe, and he was just tired of working for Coca Cola. And I think that was kind of just like a business in a market that he saw that was valuable and needed, you know, resources and stuff. So yeah. he just tapped in and took it on. What an idea! Yeah, he's uh, still going to this day. And so your mom helped run the business as well? Yeah, she was working at, at Cal. Yeah. After like five or ten years, she just fully quit her job at Cal and they took it took it on one. That's dope. Black owned business out of the Bay Area about like thirty years. They like Crazy. high school sweethearts? Nah, I think they met later in life, but yeah. it wasn't high school. They yeah. met at uh God damn it, I'm I'm blanking on Sorry. Name. But yeah, they met Are they both from the Bay as well? Yeah, my dad is from West Oakland, my mom is from Richmond. Wow, so you guys have just been family's been there forever. Huh? Real Bay Area. Yeah. I think before them, um my mom's parents, my grandparents, they're from like Arkansas yeah. and and Mississippi. And then my dad's parents 
are from one of them is from uh, Chile, Chile or Chile. Oh you no, shit! It. And then the other one I think is from Oakland. Yeah, wow. That's why my hair is so soft. I got you. <laughs> uh, are you uh, siblings? I have some half siblings on my dad's side, but I'm my mom's only child. Okay, yeah, yeah. But my dad has a uh, two daughters and a son. But did you grow up kind of in the house as an only child, or were the half siblings there? No, I grew up as an only child. Yeah, child. right. So you got all the attention. Damn near. Yeah, that's why I'm, you know that's why I act like this. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm, <fucking laughs> you. You, you, I'm saying you got to get keep getting that validation that uh, being you, the only child gave you. When man. I need some attention, I just get on Instagram and be an idiot. That's it. Get on look that at live. me, please. Yeah, right. <laughs> the validation, baby. <laughs> um, so, what's Berkeley like? Is it? Um, I, I think of it as like this kind of hippie place. Yeah, I think that's a part of it for sure. Sure, yeah. I think that's ingrained in the culture. But to me, what's dope about Berkeley is a lot of different shit. Yeah. Like, it's some hood shit in Berkeley, but it's also a college town. Yeah. You got, like, North Berkeley Hills. You know what I'm saying? Um, the shit that's borderline Oakland, borderline, like, Albany. It's a whole bunch of different shit. And then when it comes to, like, schools, especially Berkeley High, Berkeley High is one of the biggest schools in the Bay Area. Yeah. And so you had kids that would come from Oakland, Pinole, Richmond, San Francisco, and it was just this big melting pot of hella different people. That's dope. Which I think is what made Berkeley High super special. So Berkeley High is super diverse. Hella diverse. People bro. from all over the Bay. Everywhere. Yeah, right. And that's why I think like it's one of those things where growing up, it makes sense why I'm able to be like, I could fit in anywhere. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm so used to being around white people, Asian people, Spanish people. Like, yeah. oh, I've grew up around that. And I think right. like what I learned in Boise, a lot of people not like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people grew up, if it was niggas there, it was just niggas. Yeah. If it was white people there, it was just white people. You know so what I'm saying? So you grew up learning how to code switch and be a chameleon a little bit. A little bit. You just yeah. learn how to blend in. You yeah, know what right, Learn how right. to fuck with it. You don't really judge people by skin. You just judge people by people. Right. And were you always a big kid? Football, like peewee football and shit? Definitely. I was so big, I couldn't play peewee. Oh, man. I had a lot of friends like that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. That's why playing, like, contact, like, tackle football in high school was such a big deal. Yeah, because it was I the first play. time there was no weight limits. Yeah, I couldn't, literally. Yeah. I couldn't play Pop Warner. I played flag football in middle school up until high school. Yeah. Did you practice with the peewee teams, though? Were nah. you, like, the kid that would hit put hits on people? No, nah, I couldn't. I didn't even, didn't even go fuck with it. Shout out to Berkeley Cougars, but I, no, I didn't even go fuck with it. You know, it. Um, I got my ankle broken eighth grade trying to roll tackle a kid that was too big to uh, play on our team, but he would practice with us and just lay licks on us, dog. The coach just let a big nigga practice that was it. He just let him practice as his kid. I'm pretty sure that's illegal. It's the homie out of Morgan. He was <laughs> the same cool. age as us, but he was like 180 pounds or something. And like, just I guess that's a good nigga to practice with, though. Oh, man, but he fucking, he used to fuck us up and then he broke my ankle. And now, as an adult, I weigh 70 pounds more than that, dude. I'm ashamed. That's crazy. <laughs> you should tell him you want revenge. Go buck his ass. I said, let's go. Let's go meet in nah, Pasadena the, at the Rose Bowl. He's, he's still the homie, though. But yeah, that's when I quit football. So, um, what was school like in elementary for you? Were you a good student? Uh, I think I was decent. I was always like a goofball. Oh, like, yeah. I got in a lot of trouble just like being loud and class stupid. clown. Definitely the class clown. Voted class clown and all the little books and shit. Yeah, but, right. Um, yeah, I was I was a decent student when yeah. I wanted to be. Were there subjects that really spoke to you? I, the only ones I could think of probably was like English. Anything yeah. where I could write because writing. Yeah. yeah. Um, definitely didn't fuck with math. No science. Yeah. But anything where I could write, I kind of excelled. Or anything like a communications class or a class where I got to get up in front of the class and, like, present. Get that attention. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Uh, did you grow up singing? Nah, I, I really still to this day don't even think I could really sing. I'd just be assisted with the auto-tune. Yeah. But the, my family around me could really sing, so I grew up around music. Did you grow up in the church uh, singing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I grew up in the church. I didn't even really sing in the choir. No. I sang in the choir a little bit. Okay. I played drums a little bit, but, um, uh, yeah. That's oh. your first instrument? Definitely. Yeah. Well, the pots and pans was 
was my first yeah, instrument. Right. Then I took it to the drums. There's something about lead vocalists that grow up on the drums. They just find different pockets. You know what I mean? You yeah, just man. understand rhythm better or something. Exactly. I, I, I think that too. And especially that and um, also singers who were rappers first. Yeah, totally. If you are the singers who are rappers first, you could tell because they're doing crazy shit. Rapper turned singer. Shout out T Pain. Oh, I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah. Yeah, man. He taking shit on one. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, uh, in high school, you start playing football. And then what does life change for you? Are you just the man around campus all of a sudden? Um, I was damn near the man around campus Already. before I played football. For yeah. <laughs> but uh, football for sure took it to that level because yeah. I went D1 and played at Boise and shit. But yeah, uh, yeah I think because I was in rap groups and shit in high school. Already? Yeah, we were doing rap What shit. was your first rap group? <sighs> The first one, I can't remember because I was probably like, I feel like it was called like Royalty Gang. Yeah. Shout out Chris Lee. Wow, that's a hella rare shout out. Shout out Chris Lee. Um, And then when I got in high school, I was in a group called Goon Squad. Yeah. Me, Cole Brady, D-Boy, and Jamar. Yeah. Uh, And so we was rapping and shit. Yeah. And what's crazy, like going back to just to the melting pot, that's when G-Eazy was in the Bay Boys. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like David Singervine from the Cataracts and yeah. Niles were at the school. So like, this is like uh late. Or mid to late 2000s, kind of? Yeah, mid-2000s, mid probably yeah. from like 2004 to 2008. Um, So you grew up around those dudes. Yeah, and we, I ain't gonna say, like, we weren't even hella close, but we yeah. knew each other for sure. Because yeah. it's such, I'm telling you, it's such a big school. Right. Uh, and so many people were doing music. Like, even back then, that was early, like, uh, Heartbreak Gang shit with Sue and P-Lo uh, yeah, and yeah, those yeah. guys, Show Banger and all that shit, so... Yeah. It was it was crazy time just to see even Lil B, you yeah. know, Lil Uno from the pack, all those dudes are right. there. So that's crazy. That's really dope. Yeah. And were there shows and shit where you guys see? Yeah, niggas were doing shows. Functions. Yeah, yeah, we for sure performed the hella functions and yeah. shit. Uh, it was wild. It was, it was a crazy time. Like looking back on it. What were those early days of rapping for you like? Were you more on some like less melodic shit? Definitely less melodic yeah. and more like fake purpose shit. Like I was lying. Yeah. I was talking about guns and shit. You know, like back in the day, I didn't give a fuck, bro. I was writing about AKs, shooting niggas, all kind of crazy shit. You'll get your stupid ass smoked on this track. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was saying a lot of anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was saying a lot of anything back then. I don't think I really grew into my to who I was and my sound damn until after college for real. Because yeah. back then, like you young, you don't give a fuck. I'm just saying what's cool. Yeah, exactly. What people, I think people are like. Yeah. Was there ever a time um, in high school where you felt like the music was going to take you away from football or was it like did it ever come down to a choice like oh am, am i gonna pick this or that no nah, not in high school i think the choice really came in in college yeah and i didn't really have a choice because football was so dominant yeah you know what I'm saying? it was from 5 30 in the morning to 9 yeah. p.m yeah so i could only kind of record whenever i could yeah. in the dorm like i was a nigga that had the studio set up in the dorm niggas and some chicks to come through yeah. and rap and then when i got my house i had it in the closet but so before we even get to that tell me what that move to boise is like and were you such a good player that there was like a a lot of teams vying for your favor or whatever um no i think the only offers i had coming out yeah. of high school was boise i think weber state yeah. and san jose state yeah so you um, go d1 to boise go d1 to boise and it was just a culture shock it's yeah. just different it's conservative it's idaho you yeah. know what i'm saying luckily yeah. with football and sports it's just a lot of niggas yeah. period so it was a lot of black people playing on the team yeah. but the city was a lot different you know oh, what i'm yeah. saying like their views were a lot different like people but it was it was weird because it's like 
is a veneer of truth. Like you fuck with me because I play football. But if I didn't, but if I didn't, yeah, I don't know what this experience would be like. My experience was different because I play football, but I'm not ignorant enough to say like that's the real experience for a black man in Idaho. Right, I can't call it. Right, Um, but it was cool. I love Boise. No disrespect. Like it was really tight, but I'm really aware of what it was. Totally, it was a a crazy transition. And then for me too, going into it, I didn't have anyone who played D1 football or went to college, so I went into a really blind. Yeah, like it was dudes who. I went to college with who either had big brothers or big homies who kind of coached them through like bro you gonna have to do 545 I didn't know what the fuck a 545 was till I got there and they're like yo you gonna have to wake up at 515 in the morning and well, I'm 545 is a practice at that time in the morning yeah oh, it starts that. at five workouts yeah, at 545 yeah. and it's like me- mentally I wasn't prepared so it was rough for me my freshman year for sure yeah. but you kind of you know get used to it And what was it like being from sort of this big city uh, and then being in this smaller city on campus did you feel more cosmopolitan than a lot of people you were around or something uh not really because it's like you're so engulfed in football you know what i'm saying like you're so in it and then boise it's not even like a small city like that yeah it's a small city compared to like what we're used to right but it's a big city in its own right you know what i'm saying so so it didn't feel like you're around a bunch of hicks or nothing nah but if you get outside of boise you get a little many yeah yeah but in boise was cool for sure right and so, yeah, it's just football day and night. Football day and night. Man, how did you do there? I did decent. Like, I was cool. Like, I did good in school. I was a backup. I probably started, like, four or five games. I didn't start that many games. Yeah. But it was it was fun, bro. The experience was great. I made some of the best friends in my life, some of the best experiences. Like you said, we won a Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. All that kind of shit. Uh, I got a college degree. Sick. Um, it was fire, bro. Yeah. It was really tight. You played all four years. All four years, four and a half. Did you have dreams of going to the league? No. No. I never was that guy. Really? Like, it was some dudes that, like, I came in with or dudes who would come in that are like, nigga, I'm going to the league. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was their dream. But my passion and dream was always music. Like, I knew this was... To me, it was a vehicle to get a degree. I was going to say, a means to an end, basically. Exactly, yeah. but I never had that, like, I'm going to the league. I didn't love it that much. Yeah, I was okay. good at it, but I for sure didn't love it. So how long is it from when you get to Boise to where you have, like, the studio set up in your room and your room's the spot to come record? As soon as I got there, because I bought the shit with me. You brought it with <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's in my bag. So yeah. as soon as I take my clothes out of shit, I set my little studio up yeah. on the desk, and it was cool. Me and Brunel was in there. That was my roommate. Yeah. So, yeah, we was fucking around. And what all did you have? Just, like, a mic and a little console and a laptop? So Shitty shit, bro. I had I used my um my school laptop that I got for college. I don't know what kind of laptop, some kind of HP or yeah, some right. Dell or whatever. Yeah. And I just got my. I can't remember what user face I had, but yeah, I just set my shit up. Had a little shitty microphone. And were you making beats too? Yeah, it was on Fruity Loops. On Fruity Loops, on yeah, because PC, of course. Yeah, yeah. You still use Fruity Loops today? To this day. One of the to goats. This day. One of the goats, man. That's the, that's a great program. All right, did you switch over to Mac with it or what? Yeah, I switched over to Mac when. I, so I got a Mac. I didn't get a Mac till later, bro. I got a, a Mac maybe in like 2015. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I was on Reason for a minute. And I was on Logic trying to fuck with it, and then they ended up releasing the Fruity Loops on there. Yeah, you know, I went back home. Yeah, exactly. The game changer. What's that musical journey in Boise like? Uh, when do you find the time to make music if you're working on football all day? And how does it change like your um, growth in the music? Um, that's interesting. I think for me, it was like I said, it's my passion. So yeah. whenever I had some downtime, whether it be on the weekend or nights when I have hella homework or I got home early, I would just you know fuck around. 
Like nothing serious. Nothing was ever serious when I was at Boise. Like I dropped a couple little mixtapes, bullshit, but it was more just having fun, like cooking up, making beats, having the homies rap, have some chicks come over and sing some shit, like yeah. just having a good time. Yeah. Um. So yeah, whenever I kind of had some downtime, we would fuck with it. Did you start toying with melody more there or were you still straight rapping? I think I started, so I think I started kind of toying with Melody in high school. Okay, yeah. And then I think in college, I was fucking with it a little more. I think around that time is when I got tapped into Auto-Tune Live. Yeah. Because my computer was so shitty, the latency was crazy. Yeah. And then they dropped Auto-Tune Live where I could really like, oh, okay. I think it was Auto-Tune's EFX or some shit like that. And then we just started fucking with it. And then, you know, it's kind of a freedom in that because you can kind of do anything. Yeah. It opens up a whole new dimension when you can like really play with Melody safely. Definitely. You know? what, what degree did you graduate? with communication communication so you yeah. didn't know what you wanted to do really right? <laughs> 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 shut the fuck up exactly <laughs> come on now. no that's real as fuck yeah, yeah. get this little general ass degree and figure life out yeah exactly um, but it was yeah for sure communication um it was interesting a lot of dudes did communication i feel like a lot of dudes were steered towards communication because it was damn near like the easiest shit for real keep your grades up so you can play in the games come and on shit. bro yeah. um but yeah for sure i got the communication degree did you always know you were going to move back to the bay afterwards yeah yeah what's crazy is like the majority of dudes unless they got a, like a chick pregnant either yeah. was like i'm going to league or i'm going back home yeah not too many just like stayed right you know what i'm saying like I mean, a couple yeah. dudes stayed which is really rare but uh i think yeah i was coming back home and so yeah how does life change when you get back home uh, it was different because when I got back home, I went through a little dark, dark period. I ain't gonna lie, because I got back home and I was so used to being around like team and the homies living with five bros to coming back home and living with my parents. Yeah. And then at the time too, the majority of my friends were either still in college or they were traveling abroad and gone. So I went through this period, and then I was with the chick from Boise. I got cheated on oh, long no. distance. With, like a lot of little weird shit went down. Yeah. So like for a year or two, it was just like some weird. You know what I'm saying? And then to top it off. Like I was telling you, I was working for my parents, yeah. driving for them. Yeah. And then that just puts you in your head because you're driving 10 hours a day. Yeah. You know, so I'm sitting there thinking about life by myself. It was a little weird time. But at the same time, I was able to kind of like write a lot in the car I was writing. That's the best time to write, really. Literally. Come on. Um. So, yeah, I was kind of figuring life out for the first couple years. And I think I feel like things really kind of started clicking for me, I want to say, late 2014, 2015. Do you think that lack of structure when you got home affected you as well? Because I would imagine in college, it's like, yeah, the 545 sound like a nightmare, but they also keep you on track, huh? For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I never really thought about that, but yeah. I think for sure that played a part into it. Yeah, right. So how long is it until you start seeing some breakthroughs with music after you get home? It was a couple of years. I, like I said, I think it was early 2015 Yeah, is when uh, Moxie Java came out. That was a song with Neff the Pharaoh. Yeah. And in the Bay Area, I think that was kind of like my, my biggest song to kind of like pop me off in the Bay Area. Right. And then I was a lot of momentum leading into like Handheld GPS, which was my biggest song at the time, which put me on a different platform. Then I dropped uh, Father Figure One, yeah. but Where I Belong and all those type of songs. So I think... I would say like 2015. When that happens, does the industry come out of the woodworks like, hey, Raj, what's your what are your future plans? Nah, not not really. I ain't even gonna lie. I think uh, at the time, right before I dropped these things, I was managed by two of the homies, Cat and Aubrey, who are dudes I grew up with, and they kind of had their own lives. But in their spare time, they would manage me and kind of help me do certain things. So shout out to them. They're both flourishing in their careers now. 
Um, so they were helping me. And then right before I dropped Moxie Java, my manager now, Ari, yeah. while they were managing me, Ari was uh, going to San Jose State. Yeah. And he was working radio and doing shows. So he would bring me up and do interviews, bring me up to San Jose State and do shows and all that kind of stuff. So that's how our relationship started. I can't remember exactly what happened, but me, Cat and Aubrey's, like, I think their real lives kind of took off, so they didn't have as much time to do right. uh, Rex Life Rod shit. And now he stepped up kind of like, yo, I want to manage you. And at the same time, he was getting a, a job interning at Empire. Yeah. Um. So as he got that role at Empire, he kind of, like, brought me in with him. Nice. And that is what kind of sparked off my relationship with Empire was through him. Yeah. And then they kind of just saw what I was doing. Shout out Nima. And, you know, Nima fucked with me, offered me a, a deal. I think it was around 2016, 2017. Yeah. And we've been rocking ever since with Empire. Amazing. How long is it until you start, I don't know, touring and, and have a booking agent and, and doing all that stuff? It was crazy, bro. We went through a, a couple of weird ass situations with booking agents early. Yeah. Um, before we really knew the game. Yeah. And I think I got my real booking agent probably didn't come to like 2018, like mm -hmm. 2018. Yeah, it was it was Danny from ICM. Okay. Shout out Danny. At first, even though I was kind of buzzing, I didn't have a catalog or enough fans to really actually tour but i think after a while things built up to the point and then danny is from the bay yeah and so she went to la doing her thing and you know she knew of me yeah. in this big ass building the icm and she's like yo y'all should fuck with him and they're like all right let's fuck with it yeah so she brought me on and we've been mobbing with him ever since amazing you brought up a second ago when you were coming back from boise you had a bit of a dark period where you're trying to figure yourself out and stuff right in listening to your music, to me, majority overwhelmingly like very positive and vibey, but I have to wonder if maybe that's like a uh, projection of like, this is how I wish I felt all the time. And perhaps maybe do you lean towards depression in more of your regular life? Does that make sense? That's interesting. Um, I think for me, it's a balance. I feel like I am all things. Like yeah. I'm for sure it's sad, depressed sometimes, but I'm also for sure fun and goofy sometimes. Yeah. And I feel like in my music, it's a balance. And I think- Because also the fun and goofy guys are also the saddest ones when they're alone sometimes. You feel for me? For real, Come bro. On. It actually- um, so I think for me, I think that's one of the things I admire about myself and my art is that it is a balance of all things. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's the sad shit in there, but it's also the fun shit in there. Yeah. Because like I said, I'm the totality of all of it. So I think it's just all of it's in there. Yeah, right. In, in looking back, do you have a pivotal moment that sticks out to you or a song that sticks out to you as like, oh, this is the one that really made me believe in my sound. This is the one that convinced me um, that I'll be able to do this for a career. It was handheld GPS. It was. It yeah. was handheld GPS for sure. Because, like, coming from the Bay, like, we have a very distinct sound. Yeah. And that was something that I battled with early is kind of, like, trying to uh, find myself. Because I always was trying to be the most authentic which type of nigga I am. Like, yeah. I'm not going to do shit that everybody else is doing. Right. So I was trying to figure out, like, what is my sound? And in the Bay, for me, it was kind of hard because there was such a rigid sound at the time. Now yeah. it's different. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like within the four or five years of what I'm talking about, it's different now. But when I first came, it was really like mob music or like hyphy music or like turn up shit. That was it. Yeah. It wasn't really too many other lanes. So a lot of the times I felt isolated, even with the handheld GPS in the Bay, when I would be in sessions playing it to niggas or niggas would come to the studio, they really wouldn't understand it. It wasn't until what's crazy is oh, <laughs> my white homies, they got a, Airbnb in Dillon Beach, which yeah. is not too far from the Bay Area. And I remember playing them the album before it came out. And we were on the beach, like niggas was on shrooms, acid, all the shit. Yeah. And I played the, all whole, the white people shit. The white people <laughs> shit. So I played handheld GPS. Yeah. And I just remember seeing them like, 
They what all is this? Out. They're like, yeah. well, this is fire. And I remember I didn't get that from other homies. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that's when I kind of knew it was something special. And then when I put it out, it just like, you know, blossomed. The magic just happened. And it made me be like, oh, okay, there's a space for this. Yeah. There's a place for this shit, even though it might not be in the bay. Um, there's a place for this in music. So yeah. it's like, at that time, is that when you and Ari were really getting your um structure in order basically literally yeah we were still figuring it out you know what i'm saying like it was me and him been mobbing forever yeah. you know what i'm saying just kind of figuring it out and you know when this happens we'll adjust and you know run different plays but yeah we were at that time we were for sure figuring it out and at that time it was the biggest record that i ever had yeah that shit changed for me like not even like that was the biggest record but that's when producers got more real about like oh i need to get paid you know what oh, i'm saying like yeah. shit got real when handheld gps and that's how i knew it was real because yeah. it wasn't just like all right bro here's a beat let's put it out it's like it was nah, like yo we seen how many streams it's doing you need like, to pay me 4k up front or <laughs> you something. know it just got yeah. real you know what i'm saying yeah and that's when like the booking agents start tapping in and shit start happening because it did so well so for me for sure handheld gps was that moment for yeah. me yeah well what's that moment like when it goes from making music to the homies to where it's like now you're paying to make music you know what i mean like how does that feel artistically it's just a different side of the game you yeah. gotta play you know yeah. what i'm saying it's the game that you only understand it when you get there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, okay, I was making art and music, but now it's a business. Now it's the business side of the music business. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, we making music for fun. Right. It's like, no, nah, we need our coin now. You know what I'm saying? Like, because it's bigger than just putting it out and getting 100 streams. It's like you're making money on YouTube, streaming platforms. I know you're doing shows. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, the producers want to get paid. And I'm always for paying people. Right, like, of course. For me, I'm a paying, I'll pay you for your yeah. services. Yeah. So um, it was just something we had to adjust to and figure out because at that time, you know, nobody had lawyers. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it was just us in the studio fake arguing. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, Trying to yeah. figure it out. So yeah. it was, it was a- uh, Talking about was, points with no paperwork and bro, shit. I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, it was, but it was a learning process though. Yeah. For sure. How does the day-to-day change at that point? Do you go from still driving for your parents and then it's like, oh, wait, now I don't got time for this because I got to make the music a priority? Um, Yeah, what's crazy is like to this day, I'll still drive for my parents. No shit. Yeah, sometime if they need me, I'll for sure drive. Yeah. But at that time, I was for sure doing both. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, Because it was a point where business had got slow for my parents and they couldn't afford to hire people. Like They needed me to work. And at one point, like earlier in life, my parents would drive themselves. You know, like my dad would be driving or my mom and they'll be picking up boxes and shit, but they got old they couldn't do it no more yeah. um so i was out of college and although my music career was blossoming they still needed me to work so i'll work for them from seven in the morning to five no shit when i got done i'm in a studio from fucking seven to you know three or four in the morning um then when i had to go out of town to la or new york and when i started doing shows i'll get the homies to work and my parents would pay the homies but then when i got back i was back working yeah so it was just kind of thing like you figure it out you it's know balance, you, yeah. you adjust so now are you a workaholic or do you still find time to enjoy yourself like what's life like it's a little bit of both bro i got a weird ass addiction to music yeah <laughs> you know i got you got ask ari or anybody around me yeah like three four hundred songs bro i just love to do music oh my god like i fuck i can't not do music for too yeah. long um and i can't tell if that's like an addiction or i'm just passionate or i'm a work all i don't know what that is but i just know i'm drawn to doing music uh, but I'll be enjoying life for sure. Yeah. You know, um, quarantine and the pandemic shit has been different. It's made it hard. That shit. And then I've been just dealing with some family shit. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been it's been interesting. What's happening with the fam? Found out uh, my mom is sick. Oh, my dad's been sick for a while. But then yeah. I found out some crazy shit about my mom this uh, past year. So yeah. we just kind of been dealing with shit. What, what kind of sick is your dad? If you don't mind saying. He has 
kidney failure, so he does dialysis. Yeah, dialysis stuff. Congestive heart failure, has diabetes. He has, you know, a yeah, few issues going, going on. Through it. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. yeah, my dad just passed away last year uh, after 10 years of Alzheimer's. Oh, man. I'm man, sorry yeah. That, man. It, I mean, it, you know, we had a long time to deal with it, but right. it was crazy. It's hard watching parents kind of, like, get sick, you yeah. know, but you get to that age, fucking it happens. I'm telling you, bro, yeah. and I'm kind of, like, in the thralls of it right now, and it's just, like... It's insane. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, just be, be there for your parents. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. we at the point now where parents are getting older. And even if you're not around, what's crazy with me, like, I just happened to be around because of the pandemic and all that shit going on. So it was some things I caught in my parents that was, like, not normal. Yeah. And then, you know, they went to the doctor and we got shit, like. So you're telling them, hey, like, watch out for your health. Yeah, yeah. but I know a lot of the homies not with their parents every nah. day. So you can't even see, like, luckily I was around to see the small things that weren't right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. something's not right with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, just. Tap in with your parents and make sure they're cool, bro. It's crazy. You're lucky, too, though, because it sounds like you have a great relationship with your parents. A lot of people that sit in that chair, right. one or the other, they have, like, a terrible relationship with. Right. You sound like you got a good balance going Yeah, on. I do, man. I, I can't complain. I'm blessed when it comes to, to yeah, my situation. that's fantastic. Um, so how do you balance your time between um, producing and writing? Do you schedule time to do one or the other? Is it kind of whatever sparks? Well, at this point, because I'm not, it depends on if I'm either focused on a project yeah. or if I'm just kind of like bullshit. Like right now, I don't have anything to do. Yeah. So I'm just like doing whatever I feel like doing. Like I'll go to the studio, I'll make some beats, or write, or just bullshit. Yeah. But if I'm focused on, if I'm doing like an album or EP, I'm really not producing that shit. Yeah, like right. That's other producers. Right, right. Um, but now it's kind of like I'm just doing whatever I'm feeling in the you moment. You produce for other people sometimes though, yeah? yeah? Yeah. More, especially now lately since I'm not working on a project and right. it's the pandemic, like now I can really hone. Because my thing is like I've been producing for a while but i didn't really believe in it because right. i'd be fucking with producers that are hella raw right you know what i'm saying you yeah know? i mean when you're getting beats from ill mind and shit it's like why do i need to even <laughs> turn saying, on for these bro. yeah like the shit be so fire that i don't feel i never really felt comfortable sending my shit out but now i'm at a point where i'm like i think my shit is good enough so i'm working with a lot of different artists right now yeah yeah do you have like a go-to producer that you love working with the most or somebody that you feel like reads your mind is your right hand man or are you sort of like just freelance with a bunch of different producers it's both but i feel like my main producer at this point is kyle betty okay yeah. kyle betty did all the california poppy one california poppy two, two freedom love shit and flaws yeah. you know what i'm saying we have a certain sound that people really fuck with how'd you guys meet through my nigga bugsy r.i.p bugsy um oh, bugsy is from richmond yeah and it was, it was like 2015 or 16 I don't know how they met, yeah. but I remember Bugsy would bring him to the studio and we would do music and then I just ended up tapping in with Kyle through Bugsy. Yeah. Um, Bugsy got killed shit last year. Man, that's uh, terrible. Yeah, in Atlanta. So R.I.P. Bugsy, but R. yeah, R. I met him through Bugsy. And when you guys first met, was it just an instant chemistry? Yeah, I think so, bro. It was one of them things where he would just send me beats and I would do it. And like me and Kyle, like I said, I got four or 500 songs. Like half yeah. of them is probably his. No shit. Yeah, because it's just like... It's a sound. Like, people know it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know that sound. If you're a fan of me, whether you know him or not, you know the sound you know the that sound. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. All the records you just described are so cohesive. You know, they really have a vibe all the way through. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, we uh just fuck with it. You guys live close to each other? Yeah. So, I'm in Berkeley, and he was... I th he's in San Francisco now. Yeah. But I think he was, at the time... I feel like he was out there somewhere by Danville or some shit. So, yeah. we've been close, yeah. So, do you guys get together and work? Or are you doing a lot of stuff through email? The majority of shit I ain't gonna lie, he'll send to me. Yeah, and then I'll just record to it and send it back. And then if it gets real, like if it's a song, like all right, I'm gonna put this on the album, I'm gonna put this out. He'll pull up and we'll arrange it and really yeah, fuck yeah, with it. But the majority of it is just like send me some shit. Yeah, right, right. Um, so tell me about the California Poppy projects. Um, what inspired the name? Um, California Poppy is just a playoff words because I was going off the 
fucking with the father figure shit yeah, for so yeah. long. Yeah. Um, California Poppy, and it just the tape in our sound is so California. Yeah. It's just so raw. It sounds like some Dom Kennedy type shit. You. you know what I'm saying? So it was kind of like a play on words and a play on the sound of our music. Yeah. Is how it came about. And, and so that one hit hard enough that it was like we gotta make a part two. Yeah, because we put out the part one. I don't even remember why we put it out just on some fluke shit, and it yeah. just went up. You know, it had songs like Long Way, Tucked Off, Shorty, um, what, Sprinkle Me featuring E-40. A lot of shit was on there that people fucked with. And like yeah. you said, it was a cohesive sound. Yeah. And when we put it out, like, it did hella well. I didn't know it was going to do that well. Yeah. And then I remember last year, um, like October or something, I was just bullshitting on Twitter, like, should I drop a california poppy too because i wasn't really thinking about it but the reception like people started retweeting it just like dming me like when it's dropping like it got real and i'm like damn i didn't know oh, what now i a- gotta make one yeah for sure because <laughs> yeah. it wasn't a thing you know what i'm saying but luckily like i said me and kyle had so many records that yeah. like four of the records were already done yeah that i just pulled from the thing and then like tesla in the pandemic obviously was new state of mind was new yeah. the freak with juvenile was new yo tell me about making that because first off you guys are sampling adina howard right and i don't know I mean, I'm probably a a few years older than you, but I mean, Freak Like Me, that was like... I don't know. That was like seeing Rihanna naked for me when I was kid. When that video came out, right. I was I was a horny little eighth grader. Like, oh, this is my shit. Pure horny, so, pure stiffler. You know what I'm saying? And so it's now he, hearing that um, again, it just brings back memories. But then hearing Juvie on it, man, it's just amazing. How did that song come about? That was wild. Yeah. So he sent that, and it was I just as soon as he sent it, I was like, yo, this is hard. You already knew the beat, right? Yeah. yeah okay. And then I was like, yeah, this is hard. And then so I did my shit on it, and I sent it to Ari, my manager. Yeah. And then he ran the play. He was like, I, I can hear Juvenile on this. And oh, I was wow. like, shit, if you could run the Damn, play, A and R that shit. Come on, man, yeah. he be fucking around. Yeah. Um. So I was like, yeah, if you could hear him, run the play. Yeah. And he ran it. Juvie got on it, and it was just like from it was just a go from then. So what's that like when you hear a Juvie verse in the inbox? It's insane. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's like, a legend. I've been inside the house before Corona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that nigga came out talking shit. Yeah. But it was crazy because I grew up on Juvie. Like in right. the and what's crazy is like in the Bay, the Hot Boys had a crazy place. Yeah. Like oh, they yeah. damn near was almost from the Bay in the yeah. Bay. He, like if you listen to the sound of like Bay Area music now, a lot of it is influenced by the New Orleans. Certainly. Sound. Yeah. Um. So yeah, to grow up on him and to have him on a record was was insane. Yeah. You've worked with a few legends though. Yeah. What's that? I like? work with, a, with one or two legends. Yeah. Um. So what's it like having the dudes that you grew up on fucking with you enough to collab with you how's that feel like it's insane yeah. you know it's crazy to even think about and i remember when it first used to happen <clears throat> um it kind of used to blow my mind I used to be intimidated you know what i'm saying like i'll be in the booth shaky because i'm trying to impress these people yeah. and then i met for real you know what i'm saying and when i met for real and he was fucking with my he like fucked with my music and i remember him telling me he was like you're here for a reason yeah he's like don't question yourself he's like if you weren't supposed to be here you wouldn't be here yeah you know what i'm saying like you're here because we like you yeah so don't go in there trying to do some other shit just do the shit you've been doing yeah and then ever since that conversation and also it's like if you meet a for real everything else is kind of like yeah <laughs> you don't you know what i'm saying like going to fail yeah. yeah if you meet a for real it's like i can't be intimidated by too many other people other than like a jay-z or something yeah right. so you meet a for real it's like whatever how do you end up in a room with pharrell um his dj was in town yeah kp uh-huh. and i think nima told him about my music i played him some of my music yeah and i remember it was that night he had to he was leaving that night and nima played him my music and he was like yo i want to meet this dude wow. so they came to my studio that night and he was like i play some music 
and I played him music and he was like, yeah, I'm finna, you know, because he's, he's Pharrell's DJ. He's like, I'm about to send this to Pharrell. Yeah. And at that time, you know, niggas had told me all type of shit. And I'm right. like, yeah, for sure. Right, right. <laughs> you know what right, I'm saying? Yeah, right. play it for Pharrell. And then he, um, he actually sent it to Pharrell. And then I can't remember if it was that night or the next morning, he hit Ari or Neymar. One of them was like, yo, Pharrell wants to meet him. Wow. We flew out the next day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> we fly yeah. out the fucking next day. And it was nuts because- Where was it? Virginia? He was in Burbank. Oh, in Burbank. Okay, so down here. He was in Burbank. And it was crazy is that's when he, he had just had the twins. He had just had babies. Oh, wow. And so he was recording, bro, at five in the morning. Oh, <laughs> it's a straight dad time. Bro, because he wanted to be done by like noon so he could be with his kids. Yeah. Um. So we was pulling up on him. Like, we was two or three days fucking with him, and we are pulling up under my five in the morning, and he's in there, like, making shit for, like, the Jonas Brothers. He's wow. making shit for the Incredible Me soundtrack. Yeah. Um, Despicable Me soundtrack. Yeah, right. Um, he ended up bringing me out of Complex Con. It was pretty nuts. That's dope, man. It was pretty crazy. Wow, just getting jewels from Pharrell. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, bro. Pharrell told me some shit. <laughs> he told me some shit. Pharrell said, um, he, he would be on some shit like, yo, like, this is what I think you should do. XYZ. Yeah. But trust yourself. Yeah. You know, don't do it because I'm saying it. Trust yourself. And I'm saying, like, nigga, you're for real. Whatever you tell me, I'm about to do. And he's like, God, oh, no, but don't do it because I told you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, what kind of shit is this? He's for a real? Je- Jedi Mind Tricks <laughs> bro, and shit. It was deep, but he was a cool ass dude, bro. That's really dope. What's it like when you get back home after working for real? Like, you can't tell me nothing? It was pretty, it was pretty wild. Yeah. It was crazy is the perception of you changes more than you do. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah like, people are like, oh, shit. Yeah, bro. That's what I'm learning the most about this music shit is like, the perception of you will change before you change and that makes you change. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the mind game. Like, if people see you on such and such platform and they see you with X, Y, and Z, yeah. their perception of you now changes and they treat you as such, which makes you change. Niggas will think you're popping. Yeah, yeah. And you're not. Nothing has changed. I just met this guy. Right. But in their mind, like, nigga, you in there for real. Yeah, you're on now. Like, right, hey, literally. Let me hold 50 real quick. Something, like, yeah. bro. Like, so, yeah, it's weird. Does word get out and more people start trying to fuck with you and hit you up like, oh, I heard for real, I should come through. It's some, it's some shit like that, yeah. for sure. But I think for me, even though, and I've talked to my therapist about this, but e- even though I didn't need it, for me, it validated me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, being in that room and getting a stamp. Like, if Pharrell think my shit clean, I don't really give a fuck what you niggas say. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, right. Pharrell think my shit clean. So it gives you that little boost of confidence, for sure. Hey, man, you just brought up that you go to a therapist. We got to talk about this because I, I love talking about therapy stuff. Right. So, as a black man... Was it difficult to find a therapist you could relate to? Uh, Yeah, I went through like three yeah. until I found mine. But luckily, so one of my best friends named Sam, he's yeah. a therapist and a social worker. Yeah. Even before I got into like finding a therapist, I would talk to him about it. And yeah. one of the first things he said, he's like, bro, if you get a therapist, you don't have to be with them. Yeah. Like try them out for a session or two and see if you're compatible and go through it until you find somebody. Like if you can trust them and feel comfortable around them. All that shit. Yeah. And then for me, it was also kind of weird because I didn't get my first therapist until the pandemic. So I was doing it on the phone and on the laptop. What inspired you to start seeking out therapy? Because like I said, I would go through some real like weird, like dark downtime periods. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it's like, I've always been like a self-improvement nigga trying to be the best version of myself as yeah. nigga. I'm that guy. So it's like, to me, therapy made the most sense because it's like I knew I was working through some shit in my head 
and then I'm weird too. Like I don't share like my real feelings with people. Like I'm weird yeah. about that kind of shit. So I was like, let me talk to a therapist, a person who doesn't know me, who's judging me objectively. Are who you a cancer? Nah, I'm an Aquarius. Oh, okay. Are you into the stars and shit? Yeah, nah, not really. But I mean, I, I'm just hearing you talk, and I'm like, oh, I'm like that, and I'm a cancer. Yeah, no, nah, I'm yeah. an Aquarius. Yeah. But if you if uh, you let Rhea tell it, I'm I'm some I might be a cancer. You know, you know, I'm, I might be showing a cancer or some kind of shit. Yeah. I don't know. Well, so I sort of interrupted you. So you're you're going through like a bit of a down period at the is it towards the beginning of the pandemic or something when you first start seeking out the therapy uh yeah, yeah it was for sure but i have been thinking about it for a while yeah and yeah. i just never dived in like like i said sam has sent me like websites and directories of different therapists he sent me actual people that i catted on yeah. but also i had a lot of shit going on like i would be on tour or yeah. i'd be doing writing sessions yeah it's hard and it's kind of like the pandemic forced me to sit down with myself right and it's like when you sit down with yourself for real it's like all right bro it's some shit that you need to figure out yeah. and you might not be capable of figuring it out by yourself yeah um so that's when i was like let me do this therapy let me give it a shot at least so like I said, I went to like three people. Um, they were all white women. All white women, yeah. The first three and yeah, I just didn't fuck with it. And now I got a black woman named Rachel. Yeah. And she's fire, bro. Yeah. Take my life on one every session. Yeah. You know, so what I've always found difficult I, I used to go to therapy when I was younger. I want to start going back again. I always talk shit about it, but I never like um actually make that jump because it does seem like such a scary hurdle to get over like the actual looking for one and starting again you know what i mean like um was that hard for you was there any mental block for you to actually start going or was it pretty easy once the ball got rolling i had got to a point where i just really wanted it yeah you know what i'm saying and to me finding one is really not the hard part yeah like i think i did some type of app i don't remember what the app was called but then that's when i went through the three that i didn't fuck with and then my boy, his name is Dinas. He he had got a therapist, and I remember he tweeted like, "Yo, therapy is changing my life." And I was like, "Yo, where did you find your therapist?" And he sent me like, I think it's like PsychologyToday.com. Yeah. But he had the preferences set up where it was like black people, black women. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it was all these therapists that were predominantly black men and black yeah. women in the area of Oakland. Amazing. And so what I did was I sent one email. And then I copied that email and I just sent it to like 20 people. Oh, You nice. know what I'm saying? So I started getting hella responses and then some made more sense. Some was too expensive. Some I couldn't get the time right. Some just didn't vibe. Right. And then Rachel ended up just working out. So we've been, I think we're on like our 10th session now, something like that. Amazing, man. Congrats. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. That. What have you been learning about yourself? <laughs> I think the biggest thing I get from therapy is that everything is perception, right? Yeah. What you think is the truth isn't necessarily the only truth right there's need, really no such thing as truth there's no such learn. thing as truth you know what i'm saying and it's something that we all know but then you need some because it's one thing for somebody to tell you that yeah. and then it's another thing for somebody to provide you a different truth that resonates with you yeah. you know what i'm saying and i feel like she's really good at just reshaping how i'm looking at something like oh don't look at it like this look at it like this that might be more helpful to view it this way yeah. and then you'll view it that way and you're like damn that's crazy. Yeah, You're yeah. Like I should look at it like that. So I think for me, that's the type of shit that I fuck with. Just knowing that like there's a situation, but it could be viewed from a million different ways. Yeah, totally. To touch back on something I brought up earlier, I, I feel like in listening to your music and how overwhelmingly positive it is, you almost um, strike me as someone who probably doesn't like to dump your problems onto the homies. You know what I mean? Literally, like, yeah. You don't want to talk to your friends or family about your problems. So it must be a huge relief to have someone in your life who's like, that's what their responsibility is now is to like listen to you complain. You know, or, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, figure shit real out. Real shit. Yeah, that's figure real, it out. That's real as fuck. Yeah, because I literally feel like that, yeah. what you just said. But also for me, because music is so true to me, is like before I had therapy, I had music. Yeah. Like my fans, my real 
real fans who fuck with me know me because I've been dumping my feelings right. on the track for a while. Right. Like I got positive vibey shit, yeah. but the the ones who really fuck with underneath me underneath it, you can hear they fuck with the shit. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? They yeah. know, they know my homies that have got killed. They know my best friends that's in jail. They know niggas I went to college with because I put yeah. it all in the music. Yeah. Um. So for me, like most people don't realize, like if you're being truthful in what you're writing, that's a form of therapy. Yeah. One of the biggest forms of therapy is journaling. Right. Like I journal a lot. Really? I was journaling before I knew like journaling is a form of therapy, just right. writing shit. Cause I would have to get it out of my head. Yeah. I just got journals at the crib of paragraphs of me just like venting. Right. You know what I'm saying? And writing is just a form of venting. Do you ever tap into any of those journals for inspiration for a song? I can't. No. Get too dark. Yeah. You can't. No, <laughs> they man. make me feel pretty nuts, but I needed that space to get it out. I don't like, but I don't like to look at them now. Yeah. No shit. You just brought up having homies that have been killed, um, homies that are that have ended up in jail. Like, with things going well for you, do you ever experience any survivor's guilt? Yeah, yeah. That's what Tesla and the pandemic is about. Yeah. If you look at the title, you think it's about me celebrating this Tesla and the pandemic, but it's not about that. Right. It's about you know survivor's guilt. It was funny that you say that because I was thinking about doing a whole album called Survivor's, survivor's guilt, guilt, or based around that. Because yeah. I be having like the most craziest moments in my life the biggest times in my life where people while people around me are struggling yeah you know what i'm saying so it's a bittersweet feeling i wrote a song called bittersweet it's literally about that yeah um but yeah bro it's, it's something that i deal with a lot for sure it's hard to feel like you're succeeding while those around you are having a hard time because i also know how that goes where it's like even though you're getting these wins i'm sure the wins aren't big enough now to like spread them out evenly through everyone right. and take care of people right. yet you know what i mean it's gonna right. get there but right now you, you you're probably just doing well enough to take care of you and maybe the close fam for sure and i feel like it's kind of getting to a point where i could finally give jobs to people like i know i yeah. really felt that when i went on tour yeah because when i went on tour i needed a tour manager i needed a driver i needed somebody to do merch and you could hire the homies and pay them yep. not only that i could take you on the road and give you crazy experiences yep. like come to london you know what i'm saying come to paris and i'll pay you yeah um so i feel like that type of shit i'm finally getting to a point because now i'm starting different businesses and you could put people in place to make money but yeah, for a while, I really felt like that. But like I said, it's a blessing that I'm able at this point to get to the point where I can kind of like put people on in different ways. Yeah, for sure, man. That's a great feeling. When did California Poppy 2 come out? Just just recently? It was, I think it was November in of November. last year. Yeah. Oh, so it's like, it's still very fresh. Yeah. What's the response been like? It's been tight. Yeah. People fuck with it for sure. Cause it's, a, like I said, it's along the same lines of the shit that they fuck with. It's a little darker. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But the world is darker. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, but they fuck with it for sure. Yeah. Knowing after you put that out that you are still sitting on 300 or 400 songs, how do you even decide what's next? It's hard. Yeah. Um, I send everything to Ari. Yeah, and then some shit that he'll hear and he'll for sure be like, "We need to do a video to this." Yeah, because like I do so much music, bro. Like I tell him and I tell people, like I don't even know what's good no more. Every now and then right. I'll make a song that is just like, "Oh my god, that's super special." Yeah, but the rest of them are like, "This it's cool." But then he'll hear it and be like, "Bro, you're crazy. This is crazy. Right. This is insane." And then we'll take it on. And so I think just having a second opinion at this point is helpful. When you make that much music and you sort of lose the context of what's good and what's not, do you start to get more attached to the story of the song of how it got created than how it actually sounds? That's interesting because I met, I you know who I think is really like that, Zakari from TDE. Yeah. Um, because every song that he would play me, he had a crazy story attached yeah. to it. That was like, so I was like, okay, that's how he's judging his music. Yeah. Um, but for me, how I judge it is, is it's the things that I keep coming back to because there's some songs that, like I said, I've done hundreds of songs, but it's songs that 
I'll keep playing. Like yeah. it's a year later and I'm still listening to this one song. So at least I know that resonates with me. You know what I'm saying? So I fuck with that one. Right. The reason I asked that is like, I got my degree in commercial photography, right? And they always tell photographers, don't edit your own portfolio. Cause what tends to happen is you get attached to this one frame where it's like, you don't understand. I only had 30 seconds with this person and the light just happened to strike perfectly. And I got this one perfect photo of them. That's tax sharp. And it's like, you get attached to the story, but Everyone else goes, well, that's a boring photo. You know what I mean? Who cares about the story behind it? The right. story isn't told through that frame. And I know a lot of producers that are the same way where it's like, oh, yeah, I fucking love this beat because you don't understand. Like this sample was off key and I had to uh, melodyne right. it this certain way, whatever. And it's like all this technical crap. And it's like, song it hard. doesn't sound that tight. Right. It's like <laughs> it's like that one that you made in five minutes that you think is some bullshit. Yeah. Sometimes it's the best one. For sure, bro. Yeah. And I'm, I'm 100% like that, too. Sometimes it takes me somebody to tell me like yo that's fire yeah and then i'll rethink it because i'm with you like i'm a technical ass yes you know what i'm saying so i'm listening to it from that standpoint but like you said sometimes it'll be the shit that i freestyle that niggas like yo that's yeah like i did rose bowl rose bowl i dropped early last year and it was pure punch and pure freestyle yeah and i didn't really know how i felt about it because i was like i didn't write it so it can't be that deep yeah you know what i'm saying like i didn't put thought into it Mm -hmm. but niggas was like bro it feel good that's what i'm saying like sometimes when you're not thinking that's when you're really tapping into the deepest shit the subconscious shit you know yeah and that's what i think is dope about punching in yeah you know what i'm saying because when you punch in it's less about the words more about the feeling right you know for those at home punching in like you mean you'll go in and just kind of like write one bar at a time and then punch in see what happens next on the next bar yeah Yeah, and it's not even writing like you're kind of thinking about it in the moment like it's crazy i look at a young thug and when thug punch in he'll say a line and then whatever his feeling is on the next line, he'll mutter it like, I need to yeah. and then he'll take that and turn it into, I need to riding in the forest. Yeah. And he'll make the words fit the melody because the melody is right. right. The words don't really matter. Right. The feeling and the melody is right. So I think that's what I've been doing a lot lately is punching in and just focusing on the feeling rather than the words. I, that's growth. Yeah, man. You know? So, yeah, how has the pandemic... I mean, clearly it's affected you. Uh, how has it changed your life in that I'm sure before you were really getting to travel a shitload and getting to see a lot of people? And I'm sure that life has kind of had to scale down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing for me is that I'm not traveling as much. Yeah. And I haven't like been at home this this long year, like four or five years. Right. So I think that was the biggest thing for me. But also it made me, like I said, with my mom. It was a blessing in disguise because yeah. I needed to be home to see that something was going on with her. It put me, which is the, going back to therapy, it put me in like in front of a lot of the issues I need to deal with because I had to sit down. Yeah, like you can't run from it, bro. You can't be in a studio. You can't tour. You can't travel. You can't be on airplanes. You're in your room figuring it out. Yeah. Um. So for me, it just led to going back to what I said earlier, trying to figure out ways to improve myself, whether it be being healthier eating being getting uh my exercise in spending more time with family spending more time with my girl spending more time with friends even if it's not like real time facetime and checking in it kind of put a lot of things in perspective like back to the basics basically yeah for sure like i said to this day bro sometimes my parents don't need me to deliver yeah and they feel many yeah i'm pulling up delivering in a tesla bouncing out with a box and people know me that's amazing it's insane that, re- that reminds me of the 50 tweet where he's like i'm at my grandma's house she making me take the trash out like right. don't you know i'm rich it's literally that kind of <laughs> shit and that used to make me feel some type of way but it's like uh at this point it's like bro you established and you 
your parents did so much. You for can't you. be embarrassed about that. Yeah. It's like that's not embarrassing that you're fucking pulling up in the Tesla. That's yeah. that's a flex. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. Yeah. But it's like in a way to me, it's like honoring my parents. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? They did so much for me, the least you could do. Yeah, that's is amazing. Deliver these boxes. Yeah, man. What are your plans after the pandemic if it if it ever clears up? What's the thing that you can't wait to get out and do again? Leave. Yeah. <laughs> get straight up, nigga. Start running for everything. I don't again. know where the fuck I'm going, but I'm out of here. You yeah. know what I'm saying? For a long time. <laughs> you know, whether we I've been having this weird ass inkling, like I'm miss europe i miss london i miss paris yo so it's like whenever shit is open i might do six months out there bro and just like fuck with it the best i miss it the last trip that my wife and i took before the pandemic was to paris and it was like the best two weeks we've had together it was was so so fucking sick so fire yeah i can't wait to start doing that yeah it's just a traveling bro just like being able to travel freely without masks on and being able to be outside and be in the city that you're in um so i can't wait till that gets back to normal are those your favorite places that you've traveled since you've gotten to travel yeah, my favorite place I've ever been is Berlin. Berlin I've been twice, and it's just like, what'd you like about it? It's a different type of calm. It's a yeah. different type of peace. Like, it's a lot of people in the streets, a lot of people moving around, but it's not hectic. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, I feel like their energy towards life is just different out here. It's a little more chaotic. You know, yeah. people bumping into you, and everybody got a lot of shit going on, shit to do. Um, in Berlin, it was just chill. You know what I'm saying? Like, people are chilling. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're not. They don't give a fuck. Like, it was, it was just cool, bro. I just really fuck with Berlin. Well, so what do you think is next? I, I mean, I know California Poppy essentially just came out, but when you're sitting on that much music, something's got to be next. Something's what bubbling. time is it? Speaking of, oh, you got something dropping right now? At nine o'clock, I was supposed to. A song just came out. Uh, I just dropped a song with Illmind called Bounty. Forty minutes ago, I was supposed to tweet it and all the shit. I we can tweet it right now. We're wrapping it up. It's <laughs> yeah, all good. I'll let you get it. back to business. Um, but yeah, it's just like random shit, just bro. Because it's just like. I can't really do shows. And to me, the biggest thing is like putting out content. Yeah. So whether it be like YouTube shit, Instagram shit, songs, videos, it's just finding ways to put out dope content. It's kind of what we focusing on this yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. You got dreams um, after music? Who? Um, shit. I'm just trying to be paid, bro. Yeah. I'm just, I want to get to a point where I'm not worried about money. Right. And just being able to be free of this shit. Yeah. yeah this shit is crazy. So me, like me and some of the homies that I went to college with, we just formed, we literally yesterday just formed our LLC. We about to start flipping houses. Oh, which, dope. Which I think is clean. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, the goal is financial freedom and everything else to figure itself out. Well, let me. All right, uh, we are gonna wrap this up so we can tweet. I promise. <laughs> well, but that, let me. <laughs> that that that, o- that opened one more question no, for good. me though, because I think about um the gentrification of the Bay Area a right. lot. Right? Has the gentrification of the Bay Area influenced your life at all, or have you had to experience any of that? Is that why you guys moved to Vallejo? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because uh, you know shit was cheaper in Vallejo. Yeah, but yeah, I think gentrification changes everything yeah it literally changes cities yeah and then you realize it because we're i'm in the bay area it's the sickest place yeah. like when you look at prices of like a studio or a one bedroom Insanity. anywhere else i've been in the world is cheaper yeah you know what i'm saying literally yeah. everywhere is yeah. cheaper and so it makes you question like yo what the fuck am i doing here for real right. you know what i'm saying like if it wasn't for my parents i can't even say i'd be in the bay because right. it's ridiculous what you're paying for a studio or a one bedroom in houston to get you a four bedroom three right. bath with a fucking pool and an acre dog are you kidding me we watch hgtv and it's like oh look at this mansion you can buy for two hundred thousand in like you know mississippi or whatever right. yeah it just but it's certain places like who no disrespect who the fuck wants to I live know, there? I can't live there. Exactly. <laughs> right? But it's certain places that you can live. Yeah, like yeah. when you look at the Atlantis. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just different spots. Even LA on the outside of LA. But it's like, for me, it's 
I don't know, man. It, just, it gets to the point where it's like, yo, this shit is insane. With you and your friends starting an LLC, is the plan to like flip houses in an affordable way for black families so that they can remain in the Bay Area? Or yeah. yeah. Well, we're not flipping in the oh. Bay Area. Oh, okay. We My can't. Bad. It's insane. It's too, too much money. <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you got to have a lot of capital for that yeah, shit. Yeah, so we're flipping in other places, but for sure, it's in areas that are predominantly black yeah. and it'll be affordable for black people to get into those houses that's a dope idea um so yeah that's what we're doing i think it's pretty clean bro because yeah. it's like and i feel like if if anybody doesn't if you don't take anything else from this interview i think the big thing is like you got people around you that you could piece up with and run bigger plays for a long time i tried to do shit by myself yeah and even though i accomplished certain things there are things that i could have got accomplished if i would have incorporated the homies more so i think it's a big deal to like figure shit out with the people around you and run bigger plays. You know what I'm saying? So I think for me, that's why this is so, so important because it's like five or six niggas I went to college with and we're doing shit that's hella clean. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And hopefully it inspires people to do other shit. Yeah. For sure. I think that's a great thing to take away from this interview and I feel like that's a perfect place to wrap it up. That's so if you're, if you're listening in, remember to... Team up with your people and make Look bigger plays. Look at LeBron plays. and Maverick. That's it. You know, <laughs> sometimes you got to go from Cleveland to Miami. You got to just make that super team. <laughs> I'm telling you. You know? Yeah, definitely. Yo, man, it was great to meet you finally. I don't know if you know, but this has been bubbling in the background for about three years now. That's and fi finally, we were able to sit down and get it done. So I'm happy to have met you. I'm, I appreciate you having me. This yeah, is a dope interview. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, so <laughs> tell the people where they can find you online. Um, Google. Google Rex Just, Life Raj. That's it. Two <laughs> two X's. It's anywhere, very, anywhere you could. Uh, there's a search bar. Just put in Rex Life Raj with two that, X's. That's it. It'll pop up. Most um, definitely. Go look on Spotify. The whole discography is up there. It is a solid play all the way through. California Poppy Two just came out. New song with Ill Mind just got released as well. <laughs> So, and I'm sure by the time the interview comes out, there'll probably be more loose singles coming out as well. You're a busy man. Let's fuck with it. My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition. You can follow me online at It's Intuition. You can follow us as a unit at Kinda Neat on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. Uh, and uh, YouTube.com slash Kinda Neat, where we're going to see Rex Live Raj perform. What song are you going to do? I'm going to do some new shit that never came out. Some new shit. He's going to... Exclusive, exclusive. Let's get it. Um, so, go to YouTube.com slash Kinda Neat. Look at that performance. My name is Lee. That was Raj. And this was kind of neat. That was fire. <laughs>